I'm Russ Boris, and this is 8-Track. Our guest today is musician, songwriter, poet, and host of the podcast, Call and Response. Happy to welcome Adia Victoria to the show. Hello. Greetings. How's everything going? It's going quite well. How are you doing, Russ? I'm doing okay. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. So um, the premise of the show, you know, we, we have the, the guests choose eight songs, and it's usually a particular theme around it. And I'm curious, uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll probably get a lot more about this once we go on and talk more about the songs themselves, but if you can give a little synopsis of why time traveling is your theme. Well, I decided to um, do a selection of eight songs that reflect uh, different parts of my adolescence and my youth. And like most people, I've been stuck uh, in very confined quarters for the past two years, so unable to move uh, physically. I moved um, mentally and emotionally and psychologically through songs, and they just have a way of transporting me back to these moments in my my girlhood that uh, they're not the coolest, they're not the hippest, but they're mine. And I love them and I love these songs. You know, without spending as much time out as you would normally, did you find yourself kind of going back, you know, to find these moments? Obviously, you know, you're doing that for A-Track, but just, you know, casually listening back to songs or going back to music that you've loved in the past? Oh, yeah. I mean, music more, you know, more than ever past two years has been like a, a security blanket for me. And you know, I've been very nostalgic, you know, missing home, missing my teenage years, just the freedom. And I didn't realize just how little I actually had to critically think about things. And, you know, I just, I found myself needing to revisit those memories um, during quarantine just to give me some other, some transcendence, I guess. All right. So Human Nature from Michael Jackson, what is the association there? That song, I'm five uh, in Spartanburg, South Carolina, where I grew up with my mother. And we are at a place called Rose's Market, and I got lost. I separated myself from my mom to do some shoplifting, probably, and I was like freaking out. But then this song came on, and I just like calmed down and like started crying because Michael Jackson's voice is so beautiful. <laughs> so you were literally lost in the supermarket. Yeah, a little like department store. And I like that you just, you know, as a quick aside, I was off to do some shoplifting. Some some petty theft. <laughs> do you have any idea what you got that day? Um, I'm pretty sure I got the um, the zebra stripes gum. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. And they had like the tattoos. And I would just like eat the whole pack, like chew and swallow. I love them. I still love them. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't deny the voice. It's impossible. I'm crying, Russ. I'm in tears. <laughs> we can't have you in tears. It's too early in the show. I mean, we can get there later, but I get it, though. I get it. I mean, it's just, um, you know, I don't know if somebody who doesn't have some kind of association with, with those songs, you know, whether it's human nature or anything, you know, earlier in the MJ career. And then there's the other side of that is like, you know, the whole... You know how you you kind of um, disassociate with with artists that have had you know problems or controversy or, or allegations or anything like that. Where, you know, how do you divorce yourself from the art and the artist? You know, can you do that? I think we are doing it now, but like generally speaking. I mean, I, I don't see a need to divorce. Like, I don't see the need to like split off and like you know exile parts of a person from another part. It's people are complicated. People are messy and. You know, I know that I'm not someone who would be able to withstand such a, you know, strict kind of uh, moral reading. And artists are people and people are people and 
people are messy and beautiful. And yeah, I love that song and I love him. It's, it's so complicated to see the sort of black and white of it all, where it's just, you know, there is so much gray in all this. Oh, no, we, we could have gone there. Could have gone there. Do you, do you or have you done any MJ covers at any point? Uh, not publicly. Not publicly. All right. Well, there's still time. All right. So we, we've, we've closed the MJ chapter and we move on to, you know, one of the coolest women on the planet mm-hmm. and Erica Badu. So you could have gone, obviously, in a number of places with Badu. So why is it on and on for you? I don't know. For me, it was a song I first heard in 97. Um, I was in fifth grade, going into sixth grade public school for the first time and uh, leaving Christian church and questioning a lot about God. I found myself really drawn to Erica Badu's, you know, insistence that she would define herself. be as weird as she wanted to be and it introduced me to the possibility that black southern women could be witches and we could be you know off kilter and uniquely us and we could talk to the moon and stars and that's our business I just I love the song. It's perfect blues, and thank you, Miss Badu. And and this is you at eleven or twelve years old listening. To- Ten or eleven, yeah. I stood next to Badu once at a show for like 30 seconds and just hoped that by osmosis I would absorb some cool. It didn't happen. That's weird, Russ. It's way weird. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about her energy or her vibe. It's, it's just extremely special. She's, she's got that, that vibe going on around her, that aura. Yeah. Um, I was curious about the the call and response podcast that you started. You know, what was sort of the impetus behind the whole thing? Yeah, so um, in October 2020, uh, Sonos reached out to me and asked if I'd like to host one of their radio hour specials where like a musician will DJ through like an hour long set um, of of chosen songs and like talk in between, whatever. And I guess they liked the cut of my jib and they reached out to me and said that Sonos was actually looking to start a new music culture podcast. And they introduced me with a lovely production team, Jim Rose Brown, uh, who's my lead producer. She and I were able to brainstorm what that moment in my life needed. Like, how would I speak to this moment in like late 2020, early 2021? And I thought a lot about the blues and the call and response um, method of, of writing songs and sharing songs uh, in Black Southern lineage and history. And, you know, the way that through songs, my enslaved ancestors were able to maintain their humanity to call out to each other and reach back. And that's kind of what the blues has always been for me is that it's been community. It's been beloved community. And 
I wanted to share through conversations with musicians and artists and writers and thinkers, you know, the ways that the South changed them, the ways that the South um, informed their art, their thinking, their perception of the world. And so, yeah, we get into blues, we get into philosophy, we get into sociology, history, and it's just like front porch conversations that folks are able to um, join me and the guests in. Yeah, they're, they're definitely, you know, the roads that you travel, I, I think, in those conversations are really interesting. And I think it's really interesting as well to see how you have become sort of interviewer as opposed to interviewee. You know, is that something you've just sort of worked at over time? You've thought about it? Have you, you know, I don't know if it was something you had thought about doing, be, you know, pre-podcast, but you certainly have embraced it. Well, thank you. I I think I just have a knack for people. I have a, I have a genuine curiosity about human beings and the ways that humans are made and formed and developed. And I've always just loved talking to strangers, mostly strangely enough. And, uh, you know, I've worked as as a telemarketer. I've been a server in many places here in Nashville and and just that human connection. It's something that we can't kind of like, you know, ship off to AI to, you know, assume the role over. It's like, that's a very human quality, like being in conversation with someone. And especially when these conversations are based in, in music and, yeah, I just I find it's it's just so easy to just talk to people about songs in their childhood. Well, that seems to be what we're doing here in the time traveling theme that you have. And the next song that we have is He Loves You Not from Dream. So where does this take you? <laughs> this is freshman year of high school in Greenville, South Carolina, Malden High School. And I just got in cable for the first time, me and my siblings. And so it was like TRL all the time. And this was like, I want to say... 2000, year 2000, and I just love everything about it. It like captures just this moment in, in my life, you know, in my girlhood of where I was unapologetically pink. I loved bedazzled everything. And I love that. You know, this song, Let Me Revel in That, as a 13-year-old, and it was just so sassy and fun, and the dance moves. I think they're wearing Skechers. It's so early, like, oh, it's just peak millennium. <laughs> well, and it's just the idea of, like, cable is a life changer when you're a kid. Yeah, it's a, it was a game changer. I don't know if it was for better or for worse, but here we are. All right, so I'm curious if there's any dance routine going on there as you're listening back to that, if you're thinking about how you'd practice those moves at the time. Well, you know, I don't have as much cartilage in my knees anymore as I did in the year 2000. <laughs> Worn out. But, uh, you know, I'm bopping along, nodding my head enthusiastically. <laughs> Now, at any point, you know, does this start the genesis for you thinking about making music? Does it start here? Where does that start for you when you're younger? Yeah, so I sang choir in um, church growing up. I always got the solo, too, too. And then uh, in sixth grade, my first um, year in public school, I decided to play the tuba. 
um, which I loved. I loved that power of like being the foundation of the entire, you know, band and just holding it down that low end. It just made me feel very, very powerful in a very pleasant way. And then, uh, yeah, I was finally able to start listening to secular music when I was around 10 or 11 when we left the Adventist church. And I just, uh, you know, it, I just found myself meeting friends and the artists that I love, like Fiona Apple and, and Nirvana, and they just became the friends that I didn't have in school and they accompanied me. And I, and I try and honor that and, and give that to the listener, you know, whatever five people listen to a day of Victoria. <laughs> How freeing was that for you leaving the church? It was a it was a confirmation of myself. It was a validation of instead of, you know, people holding hell and heaven and eternity over my head, I just had space to breathe and ask questions, big questions. And it was everything for me. And I think where it happened in my development as a girl, you know, around 10 was vital. If I'd stayed there longer through middle school, I'd probably never hear of a Dia Victoria, but I was able to get out in time where I still had a piece of my mind and audacity from being a very young girl. It's really hard when you, you know, you're told one thing for a number of years in your development, you know, your early days. And, you know, you don't necessarily have that space to make your own decisions or have your own thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I was a prolific liar as a little girl. So, you know, I would I would recite Bible verses and, you know, say Lord's Prayer, whatever, whatever they want me to say. But I always have my fingers crossed behind my back. And, you know, the whole time when I was being told these, you know, tales or Bible verses or whatnot, I was always thinking, that's weird. And there's probably a reason why you adults need to believe this, but whatever. <laughs> I was just biding my time. All right. So the next uh, track you have here in time traveling is from Aaliyah. And I'm curious why it's more than a woman for you. So we are now further along in um, little Dia's high school career. And this is 10th grade. And Aaliyah was my first pop star that I got into when I was allowed to listen to secular music. lied and told my friends that she was my big sister because her name was Aaliyah and my name was Adia. That's awesome. It just allowed me to feel recognized. I'd never see my name anywhere, you know, in the world. And to have it that close to this pop star that you just adore and she's like your big sister, it was really special for me. And more than a woman, this album, it takes me back to, you know, the day we lost Baby Girl. And I just want to say thank you, Leah, and I hope you are resting easy right now. So in listening to Aaliyah in particular, it just made me think, you know, what what is this association, you know, with what you do now? Or is there this sort of bass heavy pop record that's waiting for you to write it? You know, the idea of Victoria, you know, popish record. Does that exist? Is that even a goal? I mean, it, it, <laughs> I guess it exists when I'm in my mirror with my hairbrush. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that's as far as I've gotten with that one. <laughs> So as we talk through time traveling with the Dia Victoria and her list for a track, we come to a British band called the Long Blondes. So talk to me about this band and talk to me about a song called Fullwood Babylon. People think I'm 
So Long Blondes were a band that I got into when I moved to New York um, when I was 19 in 2005 and I was doing a lot of club hopping for the first time, a lot of drinking a lot of uh, <laughs> cranberry vodkas underage, that libation on the Lower East Side. You tried to give me your heart, but I think were This song is just the soundtrack to one of those nights in New York, just being like drunk off my face with my girlfriends, like running around the meatpacking district in our socks because, you know, our crappy heels from Aldo were like giving us bunions and just that feeling of being like young and like powerful in your in your femininity for the first time and just completely on your own with a bunch of other insane young girls and just having fun and making chaos. And this song is just, it gives me that drive. back to being 19. So it kind of exemplifies the early days in New York. How did you make that decision to go to New York? I got into the Strokes when I was in 10th grade, and then I dropped out of high school in 11th grade. And then what should have been my freshman year of college, I went to New York and tried to find and marry Julian Casablancas. It didn't happen. Girls exercise on school trips to galleries of men who don't meet their parents' expectations. I did get to meet him. How did that conversation go? Uh, there wasn't much conversation. I was just staring at him and he was saying things, slurring things. And yeah, he gave me a hug and then I just floated away. think I'm being perverse on purpose. That is a tremendous line. Yeah, that, that one says a mouthful. <laughs> I love that lyric. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm totally down with that. So it, it's kind of incredible to me that, you know, here we are, and I, I love how we're getting the sort of chronological evolution of Adia Victoria in song. And we've gotten to New York, age 19. We're already up to the long blondes. And, you know, things are quickly evolving. I feel like you've done a lot of living up until this point already, uh, more than many. Uh, do you feel that way? Do you feel like you've had a lot of experience or do you feel like there's still more to do at this point in your t- in your life? Well, Russ, I've done a lot of living and a lot of dying. <laughs> I set you up for that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, I, I think coming out of the childhood that I had with religion and whatnot and just so many restrictions on my spirit that I kind of just like broke as a, you know, like a, a rubber band um, when I turned 18 and I've just been moving ground underneath me since I just I want to see it all I want to taste it all and you know I don't want to have any regrets when I die that is the right attitude for sure um, so we we continue this evolution because you've got 
one of the more artistic and interesting and intricate bands out there in Animal Collective. And, you know, there's a number of songs you could have gone to that maybe people might be slightly more familiar with. I'm curious why it's um, the Purple Bottle for you for Animal Collective. Is this the introduction to the band for you? Yeah, so this takes me back to around the same period as um, the previous song, Full of Babylon. This is a little bit later in my my sojourn in New York City, summer of 2006, riding my bike everywhere from uh, my house in Prospect Heights up to my girlfriend's house on the Upper West Side. And just this feeling of um, freedom in that you are at one in a city, that you know how to navigate the city. People are part of you, the traffic, the wind, and I can just hear the song and see myself flying across the Williamsburg Bridge, just feeling unity with some beyond and listening to this on a Walkman. And I, I love it. Did you say Walkman? Yeah, Walkman. Yeah, it was the thing at the time? Yeah, I had a CD player. <laughs> Excellent. Well, riding the bike, is it skipping when you hit bumps? I'm, I'm a real smooth driver, you know. Okay. I know how to take care of business. It's a good experience there. comes to mind with that because there's a hundred different things going on in that song and it feels like a sort of developing musical mind would explode in trying to you know wrangle them all and reconcile them all in their head so I applaud you for for doing so upon many a bike ride in NYC. I'm hoping you didn't lose half of your uh, listenership on that. <laughs> no I mean those guys are they're so adventurous and they're so creative I mean they're just as unique a band as there is you know, but when you take a band like that, it has such a unique song structures, you know, it, as you're writing your own songs, like how does that come into play? How do those influences come into play? I mean, not that you're saying like, I'm going to craft my own version of Animal Collective, but you know, all those influences that you take in when you go to make your own music, how does Adia come out? You know, I, I think because I was trained as a dancer before I was, you know, a professional musician, it's all about the body, all about how my body interacts with songs. I write a lot of my songs while I'm walking and there's just this internal rhythm that needs to be interwoven throughout the songs. And I think bands like Animal Collective and artists like Fiona Apple, who I love, they just remind me to keep that sense of play alive, that attachment to body and, and rhythms. And it's like, if you ain't got it in the body, then, you know, you probably ain't got yourself a hit there. And um, I think it's uh, important to respect the play that undergirds making music. Can you have that when you're you're writing your own songs or you're starting to record your own songs? If you don't physically feel it, does it feel like uh, that's not one for me? I'm, I got to move on from that. Have you scrapped ideas because you straight don't feel it? Yeah, I mean, I, I scrap ideas and most of the ideas that I scrap is just that's not the way they're going to manifest themselves in my my work. And I, I'll recycle and deconstruct lyrics and melodies and turn in something else. I'm always just um, looking for new ways to take things apart, reassemble them to see if it's something new. 
Yeah, do you have a, a situation where something starts out as a song and becomes more of a poem than a song? I mean, there's lines that I've jotted down that did not find a home as a complete poem that I, I could, you know, I would go and put into songs. But strictly speaking, when I'm writing a poem, there's a rhythm, a sound, um, an oral space that I'm, I'm looking to enter into that my mind isn't even thinking about music. You've gotten further on, you know, into the 2000s as we settle on Spoon, uh, which is as consistent a band, I think, as there is out there. It just makes, you know, great record after great record. Mm -hmm. um, and you chose I Turn My Camera On. I turn my camera on I cut my fingers on the way On the way The way of slipping away I turn my feelings on You made me untouchable for life I feel like this one has a physical association, but you correct me if I'm wrong. It just feels like this is one that would make you move. Yeah, I mean, this one, uh, this one had me scoot my booty across many a dance floor in New York City. But this particular memory I have of this is 2007, and I was working at the, the flagship store, Abercrombie & Fitch on Fifth Avenue, sales rep, whatever, I just stood around. And my best friend at work, she is just like drop dead gorgeous. And they hired her to be in a little commercial web commercial that Abercrombie used to put out. She's like giving eyes to the, the shirtless model. And uh, the, the song was the, the theme song of the commercial. It was like in 2007. But every time I, I hear this song, I just I can see my friend and her smile, just like her sexy Abercrombie smile. And it just makes me happy. <laughs> You know, I have a tendency myself to sort of ruin songs for people because I'll come up with a lyric or something and I say it makes me think of this and then somebody will tell me, oh, great, now I can never hear the song the same way. So now that's the Abercrombie and Fitch song for me. Thank you, Adia. Well done. You're welcome for that. Have you uh, by any chance uh, run into Britt Daniel to tell him that story? I haven't, but uh, I'm going to be going to Texas, so maybe I'll stumble <laughs> into the same saloon as him. <laughs> Good. I, I think that one is worth uh, it's worth the retelling for sure. Um, this has been, uh, you know, really a blast. Thank you for for taking through this sort of musical and emotional development of Dia Victoria in in time traveling songs. So as we get to the end here, uh, we go to Kind of Blue and we go to Miles Davis. So um, Freddie Freeloader has to have some kind of, you know, particular association uh, beyond just, you know, the brilliance of that record. So why this song? You know, this record and Miles, it takes me back to when I first started traveling to Paris um, when I was 18 and, and through to the present, you know, time. Paris is my city. It's a it's my place where I'm able to kind of dissolve and just um, be completely present in the moment in a culture that's not mine. I'm, I'm just a visitor, a little alien. And, I'm very particular about the music that I listen to on my walks in Paris. I usually don't want someone overwhelming the experience. I still want to be completely present. And I've just found that Miles Davis is like the perfect uh, musical companion to walk with me through through the city of lights. And just, um, he, he always knows the position to take and he always knows how to make any moment that much more cool. Yeah.
what is it about Paris that made you want to go there? What that has you know become such a, a significant city for you? Um, I would say it was probably the movie um, The Little Princess, the 1995 version, and the little girl Sarah Crew could speak French to Miss Minchin, the mean old uh, headmistress. And it was just such a badass moment for me. I was like, she's she has this power and this ability to switch languages. And I've just been fascinated with French ever since then. And, you know, I saw Amelie when I was in high school. I was like, I need to go there. And I mean, it's very fanciful and not based in any sort of reality, but it's my escape. It's my secret place where I'm able to just go and live in my head. That's what Paris is for me. It's my selfish spot. You know, I feel like Miles is sort of the soundtrack for nearly anything, but for you, the soundtrack for Paris, I think, um, sounds pretty sweet. It is pretty sweet. There's the record, I guess it was the last record that he did. There was this record called Doobop where it's kind of ended his, his career. I think they released it after he passed away. And I don't think it was particularly well-received by critics, but it, to me, I, I looked at it like he's just him, again, being sort of a visionary and seeing things before most people did, like really infusing hip-hop into jazz and seeing how that would explode in the 90s in a way that like we hadn't seen yet. And I just thought, there are just people that see things differently than the rest of us, you know, of, of an artistic nature. Yeah, they're light years ahead. Yeah. They're already making those fast connections and associations. Freddie Freeloader, with thanks to Adia Victoria for sharing some Miles Davis on 8-Track. Coming up next week, you'll hear the voice of Elvis Costello in our conversation and in his song choices. 8-Track is engineered by Jim O'Hara and produced by Sarah Wardrop, with theme music by Caroline Rose. Subscribe, listen, and learn more at 8trackpod.com. I'm Russ Boris for WFUV in New York.